Let's pray, and then we'll jump back into Genesis 34. Uh, Lord, we count it a privilege as we uh, get to, once again this week, open up the Word and study it together. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would guide our time. I, um, just these last few weeks, I've been keenly aware that there can be a lot of preparation that goes into, um, you know, getting notes together for a study, but uh, Lord, we trust you in every dynamic in the delivery of the notes and in the conversation between each of us. Uh, we ask that you would guide that. Uh, I know that there's a, a wisdom within the body that is really great and a real gift and a real treasure. And I pray that um, as we open your word, I pray that you would give us proper insight uh, so that we might submit to it. Uh, Lord, particularly tonight as we talk through, um, continue to talk through issues of sexual morality, uh, uh, victim, being victimized, and as we talk through uh, the sin of anger and seeking your own vengeance, I, I pray that you would um, not allow us to view it as something that happened to other people a long time ago, but to, that we would see that indeed your word is, is a two-edged sword and it is living and it, and it affects us, it guides us, it works us over in a sense um, that we might be more Christ-like. And so uh, our ultimate prayer is that you're glorified um, by that happening tonight. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Genesis 34. If this is your first time with us, we're going through Genesis, just a verse at a time. And we're in chapter 34. We got through the first half last week. And the first half of chapter 34 is the kind that when you teach and preach in an expository manner, verse by verse, it keeps you honest because you have to cover everything that's in the Bible. This is one of those sections that I personally uh, just, it's so hard and so difficult and so just gut-wrenching um, from what happens and that it's really hard to even speak of, um, to, to consider the details and to have to consider all that goes into it and the godlessness and the, the hatred and the self-serving nature. And so um, we'll, we'll recap the first half and then really tonight we're going to jump back in at, at chapter, at verse 13. But last week, we saw in 34 verse 1, it said, Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And so what has happened here is that Jacob has left Laban's house, and he's supposed to be going to Bethel, but he didn't make it to Bethel. Uh, he stopped. He saw Esau. He said he was going to go to Seir. Probably should have prayed for the nursery workers tonight. Um, uh, said they were going to go to Seir. Uh, he ended up in Succoth and then uh, ended up in Shechem. And so he, the point is he's not in Bethel where he's supposed to be. He's in Shechem. And so here Dinah, his daughter, is doing something probably not much different than what many of you would do should you move to a new town. You're going to go out and see what's going on, meet the people, see who your peers will be, see what the expectations are of people in the area. And so that's what she's doing. And she went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. Um, some would argue that this was not rape. Most would argue that this was rape. Um, this is as horrible as it, as it sounds, but actually probably more horrible than it sounds. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Give me this girl for my wife. What we saw is that's really a... A pretty typical mode of operation for your everyday dirtbag. He'll, he'll speak tenderly, say what's needed to be said to get what he really wants. And here we see that though he spoke tenderly to her, in fact, he, uh, it's a, you know, when he says he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her, we see that there was force there. So when his words didn't work, he still took what he wanted. And uh, it's, it's, it is filthy and it's disgusting and it's horrible. And we went into that a lot last week. All of our recordings are online um, if you want to go uh, listen to the first half of this. Uh, verse 5 says, Now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter Dinah, but his sons were with his livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. Now, consider Jacob at this point. Consider being a father who gets this kind of news. And it says he held his peace because he needed his sons. 
And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard of it. And the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter for such a thing must not be done. What was done was not okay. There's no way to spin it or to twist it or to turn it to say, you know what? That, yeah, it was kind of normal. It was common for Shechemites. It's wicked, absolutely wicked, and it's not okay. And they see it as so. And their outrage here at the beginning looks as though it comes from something being done wrong, something that's not right, something that's backwards, something that, as it says, is, is, ought not to have been done. Such a thing must not be done. And then Hamor begins to speak. Now, Hamor is Shechem's father, the king of this area. Hamor spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Make marriages with us. Give us your daughters, give your daughters to us, and take our daughters for yourselves. You shall dwell with us, and the land shall be open to you. Dwell and trade in it, and get property in it. Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me for a great bride price, and gift as you will, and I will give you whatever you say to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. Now, there are many different commentators who have many different opinions on every verse in the Bible. Some of them say that Hamor appears here to be trying to make, uh, make right a wrong. Yeah, that's right. Make right a wrong. Um, and saying that he's trying to do the right thing because he knows a bad thing has been done. I personally don't buy it. I side with the commentators who say, uh-uh, this is, this is backwards. This is daddy coming in and saying, name your price. Say, sorry about, you know, your daughter being raped, but, you know, no amount of money is too much. You just let me know what you need to make this right. That's what it looks like to me. Um, if you disagree, you have a handful of commentators that agree with you. Um, I think he's a dirtbag like his son. Um, and what he wants to do is not just say, please let us have Dinah for Shechem, because Shechem really likes Dinah, and Shechem's my boy, and Shechem gets what he wants, and so we want to make sure Shechem stays happy. He doesn't even stop there. He says, let's just trade daughters. This is very wicked. Just our daughters for your daughters. We'll just do a full-on trade here, and we'll all be happy. It's very, very fleshly. Not much spiritual movement here. Not much um, uh, seeking the Lord's will in any of this. It's, hey, um, You've got at least one daughter that's hot, probably the rest are hot, and then, you know, foreign, um, you're foreign in our land, and we're foreign to you. Let's just trade, and we'll just make this all cool for everybody. And it's just men um, being dirtbags. And it says in verse 11, uh, let me find favor in your eyes. So he's seeking to find favor in a wicked way. And that is, um, that's what godlessness is. You, you can seek to find favor in people and in uh, circumstances and wicked ways that are not pleasing to the Lord, because your favor that you're seeking to find is favor for yourself, not favor for the glory of the God who you serve. Now, all of this last week, we considered that as horrible as this is, as offensive as Hamor's words are, as disgusting as Shechem's actions are, as horrifying as this must have been to Dinah, um, the, the sad reality is in part this is Jacob's fault. Now, why did we come to that point? How, how do we see this as being at least partly Jacob's fault? And I want to be careful to say partly, because I don't want it to sound like anyone who is a victim of some sexual crime could have prevented it, because a lot of these things happen in a way that couldn't have been prevented. But here it could have. And why is it different? Well, why, why, um, how is it that, that Jacob is responsible for at least part of this? Yeah, he didn't go where God told him to go. What else? Yeah, she's got a bunch of brothers who are evidently pretty bad dudes, and she's walking around by herself in a place where, um, where they don't even know how the culture works. A lot of times, um, a parent can make a decision to let a child have some freedom in an effort to, to show trust when really it has nothing to do with trust, she should never have been walking around Shechem by herself. It just shouldn't have ever happened. Should have said, no, sweetheart, you can't leave. You can't just go walk around and try to meet some of the women of the place because there's men out there and they're all evil. And so you can't go or take your big brother and have him bring their swords and all those things. They should, she shouldn't have been walking around. Um, and it, it, he could have prevented that in a number of ways. 
Um, 2 Timothy, turn over to 2 Timothy 3, 7, 3, 1 through 7. We looked at this last week. We'll look at it briefly and then jump into verse 13. Now, I want to reread this again because we're going to see God's people in two different lights over the course of this chapter. But 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7, paints us a picture of godlessness. It says it's hard to um, find blame here with uh, the brothers and what they've done, but I want to see what Shechem and, and Hamor have done. It says in verse 1, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. I mean, pay attention to the details of this list. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burn, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. It's very easy to look at those verses and see that picture of godlessness and say, yeah, Shechem, Hamor, all the dudes in that city, that is godlessness. It's pretty easy to draw that dynamic. Now, let's look at verse 13 in, in Genesis 34. I'm just going to read through the end of the chapter again, then we'll take it a verse at a time. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully because he had defiled their sister Dinah. So what they've done is they've said, because you did this to our sister, we are going to answer you in a deceitful manner. You see them beginning to take some liberties with the way they're supposed to act or the way they think is appropriate. They said to them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you that you will become as we are, every male among you being circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to ourselves, and we will dwell with you and become one people. Just be thinking, is anything sound not so right about this? But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we'll take our daughter and we will be gone. Their words pleased Hamor. You're a grown man who's going to have to be circumcised. The words pleased Hamor and Hamor's son Shechem. And the young man did not delay to do the thing. I think it's funny that they call it the thing there. Uh, because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most honored of all his father's house. So Hamor and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city. And they spoke to the men of their city. This is a common occurrence in this city. Men, let's come together and, and reason. These men are at peace with us. This is, this is when they come together at the gate. These men are at peace with us. Let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as wives and let us give them our daughters. Just nothing else matters. Only on this condition will the men agree to dwell with us to become one people. When every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock, their property, and all their beasts be ours? Only let us agree with them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of his city listened to Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male circumcised all who went out of the gate of the city. On the third day, when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem, with the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds, their donkeys and whatever was in the city and in the field, all their wealth, all their little ones and their wives, all that was in the houses, they captured and plundered. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said, should he treat our sister like a prostitute? Now, we don't end the chapter where everyone's on the same page, and it comes together, and it was all okay. This is, there's a lot of tension in this chapter, and there's a lot of things where one of the things when we study the Word, 
Um, Howard Hendricks has a book called Living by the Book, and it explains how to study the Bible. And one of the things is spend most of your time observing. And one of the best things you can do when you're observing the Bible and what it says is to import your senses and to go, and what, what would this actually be like? Because there's a lot of really horrific things that happen in this chapter, so it's a lot easy for us to kind of desensitize from it and just look at it as a story a long time ago with some crazy people. There was actually the sin committed against Dinah. This whole city was actually murdered by these two crazy dudes. This actually happened. There were children watching. There were women who no longer had husband, brother, father. This actually happened. Now, it's hard to find blame with Dinah's brothers. However, we got to consider a few telling questions going back to verse 13. Is it ever okay for God's people to be deceitful? It's interesting. There's a phrase that's repeated. It's, it's, it's stated here because they had defiled her sister. And then you look over in verse 27. They were deceitful because they defiled their sister. Then you look at verse 27. The sons of Jacob came upon the land and plundered the city because they defiled their sister. They're saying, you know what? They defiled our sister. So at this point, there's really no limits as to what we can do. So we ask the question, simply starting, is it ever okay to be deceitful? The answer is no. Is lying and taking vengeance into your own hands any less disgraceful? Is there really any physical act that can make the people of Shechem like the people of God? Make them like one? Is there really anything that can be done to make them one with God's people, even if they're all circumcised? Does that make them one? Did they cheat the system by being circumcised? Is it okay to falsely agree to trading your daughters for theirs? Is it okay to say that you will dwell and become one with a wicked people? Is it okay to be a righteous people who give an unrighteous ultimatum to an evil people? You're giving this ultimatum, and somehow at the end, they use their sister as a bargaining chip. And if you don't do this, we're going to take her and go. Do you really like her? See, as much as I want to high-five Simeon and Levi, when you really start looking at what they said and the reasoning and then their actions, it all breaks down. They're not being faithful men who are God-fearing in this chapter. They make a mistake, a mistake many of us may well have made with them. That's something that I want to grip us tonight. We could have been right there saying, yeah, kill them all. They did what to Dinah? I mean, might as well torture him too. I mean, this is pretty, pretty easy to fall into this because what happened to someone they loved was so harsh and horrible. Now, um, sadly, at this point, the kingdom of Hamor, Shechem, knows nothing about Jacob's kingdom or Jacob's God. You know, you're into these verses. They're talking about how's this going to work? What, why are we... They're going to be deceitful in their answer and try to bring up this scheme. At no point do they learn anything about Jacob's God or the kingdom that God is preparing through that family. All they know is these brothers are hacked off and they're giving them an ultimatum at this point. This is not the way it's supposed to play out. Question, what was the original purpose of circumcision? A sign of the covenant. And what was the covenant? I'll be your God. You'll be my people. You'll have real life now. You're no longer destined to an eternity apart from me. I'm changing things through your lineage, through your offspring. I will bring up a people for my glory. This thing of circumcision in the Old Testament is a really important thing and serves a purpose that defines people different from the rest of the world. So what makes Jacob's son's words so sacrilegious. We could call it sacrilegious. Why would we call it sacrilegious? What they said. Yeah, they changed the agenda. And they said, you know what? I'm going to take this thing of truth and this thing of life and this thing that is sacred, and I'm going to use it for whatever I want to use it for. That's sacrilegious. That is backwards. We cannot use religious things or biblical truths to suit our own 
desires, our own hopes, our own achievements. Um, there are, uh, reading through Pilgrim's Progress with the, the staff, and there's hypocrisy and formality. And hypocrisy and formality, they pretty much define how they want it done and what the, what the end will be. It's like saying, heaven is what I say it is. I went to a funeral one time. It was for a loved one, my, my dad's um, sister. So I guess that would be my aunt. Um, and she, uh, she, um, she was handicapped and hadn't been able to use her legs for a while. And um, the guy doing the funeral said, you know what? For her, heaven is going to be Jesus greeting her at the gate and they're going to dance together because she used to love to dance and now they're going to be able to dance. And for eternity, they're just going to dance. And I'm the heartless guy sitting there thinking, really? That's pretty lame. We can't just define it however we want to define it. Just dancing with Jesus at the gate for all of eternity, it's better than that. Because anytime we try to take and define it in our own terms, it's going to be less than what God has. God has his best in mind for his people. And so what we saw in um, Pilgrim's Progress was formality and hypocrisy were coming in and they were essentially saying, church is what I say it needs to be. And the end and the purpose is what I want it to be. So they're saying, I'll be formal, I'll show up, I'll be a part of this thing, but if I'm going to be a part of this thing, this thing's going to achieve what I want it to achieve, mainly my happiness and my purposes. It's godlessness, but it's cloaked in righteousness. Um, So uh, one commentator said, they wickedly sever the sign from the truth which it represents. They pollute the spiritual symbol of life. They're saying, let me take circumcision, this thing about being the people of God, and I'm hacked, and I'm going to set this up, and I'm going to use whatever I need to use to get my way. Now turn over to Romans 12, 19. Keep your finger in Genesis. We'll go right back to it. The next chapter is really encouraging. I just want to let you all know that. This chapter's hard. Next one's real encouraging, at least at the beginning. Romans 12, 19. Really, you can start with... Uh, In verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Do everything you can do to live peaceably. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, y'all are probably all thinking, I mean, I don't want to like group y'all, but you might be thinking, yes, I know. I know, I've heard that. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Do not repay evil for evil. I know. But the reality is it's very easy. It's very easy to just step right into that and say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bend the rules a little bit because they said this or they did this or this has happened and now I will make this right. And what you end up doing is stepping in and saying, I know God said vengeance was his, but I don't know if I can really trust him with that right now because my emotions say Revenge. And it's lacking sober-mindedness. It's, it's being intoxicated with thoughts of vengeance and thoughts of defending really your own honor as opposed to God's. So why is it hard to trust this? Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will praise says the Lord. Why do y'all think it's hard to trust that? What do you think it means when he says, Vengeance is mine? Yeah. Yeah. What if this was your daughter? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one of those truths that you need reminding of by a brother or sister in the moment. What does it mean when God says vengeance is his? He'll set things right. Yeah. According to Simeon and Levi, what was the only way to set it right? Kill everybody. It's a little short-sighted. Jacob's sons have just given Hamor's kingdom this insane ultimatum that seems laughable. Yet in verse 18, go back to Genesis 34, their words pleased Hamor and Hamor's son, Shechem. Those words are only pleasing to a very fleshly-driven people, uh, it reminds us of Esau, who gave way to the solicitations of the flesh without regards to eternal matters. Um, in verse 19, 
The young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now, he was the most honored in all the house. We, we talked about last week, what kind of perverse, immoral, wicked kingdom must you have for the most honored in the house to be a brutal rap- rapist? It's a pretty, pretty sad circumstance. And in verse 20, the announcement is made to the rest of the men of the city. Um, now, this whole section, look at verse 23 after the announcement's made. Will not their livestock, their property, and all their beasts be ours? Only let us agree with them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of the city listened to Hamor and his son Shechem. And every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of the city. Now, it reveals their true intentions here. Essentially, rather than we'll dwell in peace, they're at peace, we're at peace, it's everything that they have will be ours. Their intentions are evil. They're being fleshly in this manner as well. This is indeed an unappeasable people. Not only does Shechem want Dinah, but he wants all of the other men in the kingdom to want all of the women of Jacob's kingdom. So it doesn't just stop with, hey, I want Dinah. That's pretty much what it is. Y'all are getting circumcised. It's, I want y'all to buy into the sin. I want y'all to come on board and you want all their women too. And their livestock and their property and their beasts. And at the mere expense of our own women who they appear to be completely bored with because they're evil. Now, something I want us to consider here. Our aim, like we talk about oneness and like-mindedness a lot, um, but that's not all. It's not just an aim that we would be like-minded. Like-mindedness can be a very good thing, but it can also be a very bad thing. What I mean is this, turn to Romans 12. And then we're going to turn to Philippians after that. So, Romans 12 um, talks about the life of worship, the word to live for our God. And it says, um, it says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. Now, in light of like-mindedness might not always be a good thing. What does Romans 12, 1, or 12, 2 actually reveal about that? We're to be, not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds. What does that reveal about the world and the state of the mind for the world? It's not right. What else? Yeah. Yeah, it's not, there's not the, really this neutral mind in the picture here. It's, there's the world, and it's saying don't be conformed to the world. And you'll likely be conformed to the world because y'all are like-minded. The Shechemites were very like-minded. That didn't make them good. The Shechemites, I would even say, were, were one. That doesn't make them good. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds, that by testing you may discern which is that which is the will of God, which is good and acceptable and perfect and pleasing to Him. It's not just what's good and acceptable and pleasing and perfect to you. What I'm getting at here is that your mind at some point must be transformed and it must be renewed. And that only happens in Christ. And you're given understanding according to the word. It's not just vague. This is why Christian men treat women differently than non-Christian men. We better, we better be serious about it. Otherwise, without a transformed and renewed mind, we're like-minded with the world. Does that make sense? Without a transformed and renewed mind, we're like-minded with the world. Yep. Yeah, you know, that, we'll go to Philippians in a second, but with, on that point, the Second Timothy 3, 1 through 7, um, you don't have to turn back there, I'll, I'll turn there and read it again, but in light of not being of the world and not being like-minded with the world, but being transformed by the renewal of your minds, consider what it is that's happening here. It says, on the third day when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. Then they went to plunder all the goods. For people will be lovers of self 
lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal. It sounds like the people of God right here in this chapter, particularly Simeon and Levi. Not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. There was a pleasure they got out of killing those guys, similar to what you might feel in the same circumstance. It's scary that we could take that list that is godlessness and equate it to the blessed offspring of Abraham, that it could go so south and go so wrong so quickly. They look unappeasable. They look heartless. They look reckless. They look like evil, brutal, not obeying daddy people. It's bad. Now, in Philippians, again, do not be conformed to the world. They just got conformed, at least for a moment. But be transformed by the renewal of your minds. Philippians 1.27. And then 2.2 and 2.5. Now, do your best as I'm reading these things. I prayed about it this afternoon. I don't want this to just be just another Wednesday night study where we go through and learn about some crazy story. There's something for each of us to take from this. You might think, you know what? I'm not a rapist and I'm not a murderer. What do, I, what do you got for me? It, it was their anger that was unbridled that led them to do this. It was a desire for vengeance. It was seemingly honorable. It was easy to step in the wrong direction. So I encourage you, as we're reading through these verses, don't just think, well, you know, not a murderer, not a rapist. No, it doesn't really have much to do with me. This speaks to us very directly. We're God's people. We're called to live in a particular way, not be conformed to the world, not be like-minded with our culture, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds, doing what's right in God's eyes. Philippians 1.27 says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear that you are, um, that I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Not striving side by side for whatever y'all are all passionate about at that time. Entire churches can find themselves accidentally stepping off and to striving side by side in whatever they're all passionate about at that time. It's about the gospel. It's about what Jesus says it's about. You don't get to be like formality and hypocrisy and come in and say, it's what I say it's about. I'll be a part of this if I get to make the rules. It's about the gospel. It's being like-minded in faith. Faith that what God says is not utter foolishness. Look at 2.2. We'll start in verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, not just the same passions, the same love as defined by God, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. It's not just a matter of being on the same page. It's also a matter of being on the right page. Um... One of the, the things that, it's hard to use the example again and again, but the two, formality and hypocrisy in Pilgrim's Progress, they said, you know what, you just climbed over the wall. You didn't come in through the gate. So you're, you're cheating, you're trying to cheat the system. It's like the Shechemites trying to cheat the system. We'll get circumcised, we'll be God's people, whatever. Just hook us up with your girls. They're just trying to cheat the system. Now, what, what they did is they did not come in at the gate. They did not do it by God's design. So it's not just a matter of being on the same page. It's a matter of being on the right page. What they were defining as right, they said, when Christians said to them, hey, you guys are thieves and robbers. You're not going to be, you're not going to get to God's kingdom. And he's going to say, welcome. He's going to say, you're crooked. And they said, you know what? We've got thousands of years, thousands of years of tradition and of just the way that we live that will support our reasoning. But to the Lord, what is a day and a year? See, they're saying, they're saying, you know what? We've been, our people have been like this a long time. And our God is saying, I know. That's why I sent Christ to change things. 
It's not just a matter of being on the same page, even for generations, because you can be generationally wicked. There are many people that I've heard, hey, why do we do it like that? Because that's how my granddaddy did it, and he's never wrong. Okay? Why do you, th- why do you believe that? That's so what my dad believed. He's not wrong. We could have generations and generations of wicked people who don't care anything about the Lord. It's not just a matter of being on the same page. We have entire churches that are on the same page, and it's a wrong page. It's a matter of being on the right page. Look at verse 24 in Genesis 34. Verse 24 says, And all who went out of the gate of the city. Now, same page. These are wicked people gathering at the gate. Let's reason together like a normal society. Let's go to the courthouse and talk through our issues. Let's do what everybody else does. We're going to gather here at the city gate and we're going to work through it. They're not, I mean, it doesn't look by formality, it doesn't look much different than most other cultures. But it baffles me because they all came together and not one of them said, hey, I think this is a bad idea. Not one. This is a very significant thing that's about to happen to them. And not, a, not one of them says it's a bad idea. And every male was circumcised. Now, it should be noted at this point. This is proof that it's not always best to just try to get someone converted quickly. A lot of times we'll share the gospel with someone and it's like, hey, uh, so you want to seal the deal? You want to say the prayer? You, I, I want And some, I said that flippantly. Sometimes it can be, I don't want to leave here without knowing that you trust Jesus. It's not just a bunch of idiots doing it, saying, you want to seal the deal? Sometimes it's very loving, encouraging, passionate people saying, I don't want to leave here until I know you're right with Jesus. I, I don't want to to leave anything out. I want to make sure you're square with Jesus. But they don't become square by saying something that you tell them to say. And they don't become square by doing something that you necessarily tell them to do. Here, all the Shechemites were converted. Is that good news or bad news? And they didn't just say it. They were circumcised. Every single one of them. I would imagine there's probably some in particular places that would say, put them down on the list. How many were saved today? It's not good. It's not worth it to just try to get conversion quickly. It takes time. What were they agreeing to? What were the Shechemites agreeing to? We will be circumcised. That means we're agreeing to what? We're going to covenant together. We'll be a part of your people. You and us will be one, and in fact, we'll serve your God. And it only took a little paragraph. Taking Dinah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the reality is that, that what they're doing is flippant. Where are their hearts is the next question. They're saying, we're going to covenant with you. We'll be circumcised. We'll be one. We'll serve your God. But their hearts are far from God. Their hearts are really, really far from God. God's not really even a part of the equation except by lingo and by terms. Here, all they're doing is saying, um, we'll do whatever you say. That's fine. And what they were agreeing to, they had no idea the gravity of it. They were treating sacred things in a flippant way. It may not always be best to try to seal the deal. Men and women need to be convinced by the truth, by doctrine, and by reasoning through the word, often over the course of time. I've heard many stories about people, you know, over the course of decades realizing the truth that sets in, and all of a sudden they are totally able to see the backdrop of their wickedness and the backdrop of their darkness but they would never see the backdrop of the wickedness and the darkness and their desperate need for a savior if they just got to define the terms however they wanted from the beginning and define what the purpose of the whole thing was. If they don't understand the real problem is sin and you're crooked with God and his wrath is towards your unrighteousness because your unrighteousness suppresses the truth, they can define the problem however they want. My problem is I'm unhappy. My solution is religion. And the aim of the end of this thing is really whatever I want it to be today, tomorrow it might change. 
It may be a sense of fulfillment. It may be that I serve and it makes me feel good. It may be that I read Bible and feel, read my Bible and I feel um, encouraged by the words therein. You don't get to just define it from the get-go. You have to see the backdrop of darkness. And a lot of times it takes time, sometimes years, for truth and doctrine and understanding to come to fruition in the mind of one who is otherwise an enemy of God. Now look at verse 25. On the third day when they were sore, on the third day when they were sore, great line, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure, killed all the males. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. Now, um, wow. Import your senses that this really happened. All those guys died. They went from, hey, this is good, and then now they're dead. Now, um, consider the third day. Have you ever worked out really hard? Lifted weights, whatever. You know, you're kind of sore the second day, but on the third day, you're real sore. It's no different here. It wasn't exactly a workout, but they were real sore the third day. That's going to be the peak of their soreness. Um. What we have here is not conquest. It's what one uh, commentator called it, cruel butchery. You didn't go in there and avenge anybody. You didn't go in there and withhold honor and uphold honor. You just went in there and butchered, cold-blooded, murdered an entire people. They were gratifying their rage Here's what scares me about this. These two brothers were gratifying their rage. What they did was wrong. I went back and read my notes. I'm journaling through the Old Testament right now. I'm stuck in Leviticus because it's hard to read. And uh, um, I was looking back at my initial notes in Genesis. I'll just write my initial thoughts and things I want to come back to, things I want to look more at. And uh, I was like, what were my initial thoughts on this when I read this the first time? What did I write? And I went back and I looked over and I've got these little columns here where you keep your notes. And I traced over on the third day when they were sore, they took and killed all of them. And I wrote in big, bold letters, awesome, exclamation point. I just said awesome to cold-blooded butcher murder. That was my initial reaction. I actually wrote, awesome, Simeon and Levi cleaned house, way to go. Now, what they did was wrong. Um, why are we so prone to love what happened here? Well, why? Yeah, it feels like justice, looks like justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Faith is not walking by sight. Why else is it easy to want to give them a high five? Think about all the different angles, all the different perspectives, all the different people involved. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Feels like they're right or wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They weren't charging in saying, Vengeance is mine, so saith the Lord. If vengeance is mine, so saith Simeon. Vengeance is mine, so saith Levi. Vengeance is mine, so saith Jacob's household. Vengeance is mine, so saith Dinah's mad brother. That's what they're doing here. And part of us probably wants to give them a high five. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then please use me for a similar thing, because I hate this. Yeah. Um, Uh, some, 
some commentator, you have to kind of read into it and impose something on the passage. It says it was only two. It's likely that we know of 12 that are mentioned. Um, it's likely there were others as well. Um, but this is... Um, some think they did, some think they didn't. But we know that they weren't strong enough to do it without being deceitful. They're, no matter how many they had, they weren't strong enough to make it happen without first having them you know, circumcise themselves. Um, uh, anger is a very real issue. I don't want to overlook that in this. I mean, when you talk about ang- murder, cold-blooded murder, you get, I mean, one of the things that they'll tell you in classes like, um, like a concealed handgun class or something, they say if someone does something, just because you have a concealed handgun license doesn't mean that you can, okay, I'm mad, or you did something, or you shot someone, or whatever. You, you can't go and get your gun and then come back and shoot them. That's illegal. You can't do that. Um, you're fueled by anger at that point. It's not, not what they would call self-defense. This was not self-defense. They were not even really defending Dinah, necessarily. Anger is a very real issue. If you had a group of men sitting in a room confessing sins, the two most likely commonly mentioned things would be pride and anger. I can say in a group of men, you know, guys, I have a problem with pride. And there could be something inside of me that thinks that's pretty okay because everyone else has a problem with pride. And frankly, that fuels my sin. I feel okay about it because of the pride sin. Does that make sense? Anger is another thing with men. I got an anger problem. Kind of like a, me too. I do too. We got anger problems. And it's pretty common that those would be the two things mentioned while other things are hidden in dark corners. But if we cannot bridle our anger and learn to trust the Lord's vengeance, we'll find ourselves making otherwise insane exceptions just like these two guys did. They didn't bridle their anger. They didn't They had an anger that could have been real good that led them to make better decisions, but they didn't. They had anger that just, it just fumed and they became murderers, brutal, swollen with conceit. All the things listed in 2 Timothy 3, um, they were not defending Dinah. They were really defending their own honor, which is why it's so easy for us to want to high five them, because I get it. This is a really terrifying chapter to me. I look at this and I'm thinking, they did something horrible. And I kind of like it. It's not good. It's not right for us to say, yeah, they murdered those guys. That's not where we should go. We're supposed to be different. And it's by God's design. It's only by his work that it's achieved. That's a pretty telling question. Is the truth freeing? Or do you still feel just in bondage to this desire for just revenge and, and just throwing down on whoever did the wrong? Is that truth? I mean, just as Lindsay's able to talk to her sister and 
speak truth. Can you look at this situation, to, I mean, here in this room, looking at this situation, can you look at it and say, yeah, I'm comforted by God's truth, that, that it would have been okay had they not killed him. I'm comforted that God's vengeance would have been perfectly sufficient. Um, that's really hard because I don't, I don't want to just sit here and say, you know what, next time something really hard happens to you, something horrible like this, you just need to trust God's truth. I want you to be so blown away by God's goodness, so absolutely overwhelmed by the treasure it is to be considered one of his children, so moved by the truth, so transformed by the renewal of your minds that no matter what happens, you could say, God's really good and I trust his truth because I'll guarantee you his truth is very hard. Sometimes obeying his truth is harder than the circumstance you've been through. But his truth is what's best. His truth is freeing. His truth is what guides us. He guides us into a way of truth. Yep. Yep. It's interesting, too, in that it says um, this picture of be transformed. It's this community effort. It's not just you be transformed. You be transformed, you and you and you. But as we are transformed. And uh, that's good because when hard things happen, I mean, it's pretty normal for someone to have something very hard happen and then make 10 mistakes after that to try and make it better in their own way. And then maybe sometimes years later they say, you know what, that wasn't the way I should have handled that. Because truth is brought in. But if you're in a community and you're walking in the word and you're you're steady in it, you're steadfast in it, then um, you will not be so um, unseated to to move towards finding comfort and solace in in sin. Um, Verses 27 through 29, they pillaged and took everything, the women, the children, the goods. Why do you think that they did not stop at murder? Yeah. 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 At this point, one guy says, "He who gives himself uh, the rain and perpetuating on wickedness soon breaks out into another." It's just a really fancy old way of saying one sin often leads to another sin, which often leads to another sin. That's why repentance is not just try to stop; it's stop, kill sin, cut the lifeline, turn, repent, move the other way. Here, one sin gives way to another. What will they do with all these women and children? What now? Kind of a kind of a mess. Um, what have generations of foreigners not learned about the people of God? I, I was thinking about that. All the dads are dead. All the brothers are dead. All the husbands are dead. Simeon and Levi are likely covered in blood, holding their swords. Come on, women and children. What do those women and children think about God's people right there? What are they thinking, oh, thank goodness God's people are here. No. They did not put God's glory on display. They put their own wicked glory on display in this movement. Verses 30 through 31, it says, Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You've brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said, uh, Should he treat our sister like a prostitute? Um... What does Jacob seem most concerned with? And is there any validity, validity to his concerns? He's concerned about safety. His reputation. His what? Yeah. Huh? It's so hard. Because their anger could have been really good. And it's so hard because Jacob's... It could have been a holy anger, was what I'm saying. Um, Jacob... Could have made a better point here, I think. But instead, it's kind of this, it seems like he goes to this other extreme. What are, boys, what is everyone going to think about me? Like your kid does something at school and your response is, what are they going to think about me? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hopefully God jumps in here real soon. Yeah. They, uh, here, it's interesting because it's right. What they did was wrong. What, what the Shechemites did was wrong. What Shechem did was wrong, but they didn't fix it. Jacob's right. What his boys did was wrong, but it wasn't about Jacob's glory as much as the Lord's. No, notice, notice God's not mentioned in Jacob's concern. So there's validity, but he's not mentioned. Say that again. Yeah. 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 It's really just idolatry and self-serving cloaked in what is something that is seemingly righteous. What should their ang- what should their concern, their anger, and their emotions have led them to? Well, that's what we'll close with. How could this have been different? What should their concerns? What should Jacob's concerns and Simeon and Levi's concerns? What should it have led them to? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she became a chip. Yeah. 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 Seems to have much more to do with their honor, not the Lord's. It could have been a lot different. This chapter is so hard because you read it and you're thinking, just don't go to Shechem. <laughs> you know, this could have been so different, but that's not necessarily the, the. I mean, it's easy to look on it and say, well, don't go to Shechem, but. At the same time, Dinah was raped, you know? I mean, this is, I, I don't want to be light about it and be like, well, you know, just don't go to Shechem. Um, the reality of what has happened is horrible no matter how you cut it, but the way that God's people respond is, is designed by God. And you got to trust him, and you got to believe that what he says is truth. you got to believe that for us now today, we hold this, and all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for reproof and correction and these other things that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Whatever good work he would have you do is normally the good work is going to be in a hard circumstance, normally. Do not be surprised when fiery trials come upon you. That doesn't make light of the fiery trial. It just says don't be surprised at it. It doesn't say the fiery trial is a sweet, breezy trial. It's a fiery trial, and it's hard. But what God tells us to do is what God tells us to do, and we have to hold each other accountable to it. And here we saw a whole family just fall apart. No one held each other accountable to the truth. God was not mentioned very much, and what was sought was revenge and vengeance, vengeance for really their, their own honor. And even Dinah was used as, as a bargaining chip and part of the plot, which is really sad. Um, God swoops in in the next verse, and I'm really excited because this, this is a hard chapter. Um, in the next chapter, it says, God said to Jacob, and those are really good words. And uh, I'm eager to jump into those next week. Let's pray and, uh, and go get your kids. Lord, we thank you for our time tonight. Um, it's a hard study. Lord, um, I confess that I read through this again tonight, and I even leave here with an, sort of an inward inclination of, yeah, but I'd have done the same thing. Yeah, but, you know, some, something had to be done. And, um, Lord, I pray that you would cause us to trust you more. I pray that as we look at your word and as, as we even pray that your spirit would do a work in us. It's outside of just head knowledge, but it's truly minds being transformed by renewal. Um, we're desperately needy people. Um, 
I don't know that Simeon and Levi knew how desperately needy they were. And uh, we are desperately needy in, in, in hard circumstances, even in a, just a common day. Um, we, we are absolutely um, destitute without you. And so we trust you, Lord. Lord, I'm thinking of the prayer, uh, I believe, help my unbelief. Um, that there are pockets for each of us where anger can come up, where vengeance is something we desire, where we hate being thought of or perceived in a certain way. And rather than trying to change a perception, we just want to prove someone wrong or take revenge on our own name. And uh, Lord, that's not your design. Um, every single thing we've talked about tonight is much easier said than done. And we need each other in your design to walk in these truths. So I pray that you would help us with that, guide us in that. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. And I thank you for a very real finished work on the cross and a very real Holy Spirit that um, helps us to do things we cannot do on our own at all. And uh, we, we thank you for Jesus and pray these things in his name. Amen.